Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. We are the Evangelicals. In today's episode, we are going to take a dive into a book of the Bible. Oftentimes we talk about one particular topic, or we'll even talk about one particular passage. Today we are talking about the book of James. Book of James. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you want to pause the episode right now and go refresh yourself on the book of James or get your Bible, we would encourage you to do that. If you press pause, we will be here when you get back. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna t- we encourage you to read through the book of James or know the book of James before we be familiar. Yeah, before before you listen to the rest of the podcast. So we'll assume you press pause sometime during this ramble session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a great conversation while you were gone. So welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> so the book of James is it is assumed that it was written. Uh, church history says it was written by the Lord's brother, right? James. James. Yeah. <laughs> Are we like in a, I don't know, like a goofy mood right now? Yeah, it's been a little bit longer than we originally wanted to do. So we're, we had a great conversation before. It's about life and yeah. it's it's good. Should we hit anything about life in the world right now before jumping into James? I, I It might come up. So let's just, I think we just go, let's just dive in. So the book of James is obviously a book that is written in the development of the Christian, of the church, the early church. And there are things that it seems like James, the writer of James is kicking against, right? So there, there's that one point where James says, uh, show me, show me your faith without deeds. And I'll show you my faith by what I do. Obviously, there's a conversation in the early church going on right. about faith without deeds, right? And so James feels that James needs to write this. James talks about people gathering together, talks about rich and poor, kind of episodes of what goes on when people gather together in the church. The book of James is written to correct practices in the early church. And I think that that's helpful to recognize. And one of the things that I love about James pastorally is that James critiques us as pastors, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. as a pastor, I've got to read James. He really gets on the whole, if your house should be in order on some level, which I think, um, isn't that in James where he, he gets after, and, but I, I think that what you bring up is a really good point to understand is he's writing to a group of people that, that I think as we try to understand it more and more and more, you can sort of hear some of the things that he was probably addressing in his language. If you don't want to go back and do all of the, the historical critical, you know, analysis of the book of James. So, but yeah, to the church, James is very controversial. You know, it's, it's some people love it. Some people hate it. A lot of your um, sometimes reformed, thinkers don't love it because it talks about works on some level. And so they get hung up on that. Uh, And, you know, duly noted that even the great reformer, Martin Luther, called it a book of straw, wanted it to be removed from the canon, uh, wanted it to be gone and just didn't like it. Um, And I even think I've heard stories where he literally took it out of his Bible and, and removed the pages from from his Bible, which is just fascinating uh, when we talk about the Bible and and how 
some people hold it up to a, a an elevated status that is maybe more than than we should and yet you have some of these great church fathers that struggled with certain books of the Bible and wanted to to get rid of them um well, which is fascinating yeah, I the think pr- the so problem the problem that Martin Luther was running up against is that for Luther in his context he was frustrated by the stipulations and the requirements of the church right so the church is saying you need to do this in order to earn salvation uh very seriously when they were raising funds for saint peter's basilica the church was saying pay so much money to ensure eternal salvation yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. and so luther has this epiphany in reading romans chapter 3 that says we are where paul says we are saved by grace apart from works and so for luther that chapter in paul in the the romans letter becomes the cornerstone of you know this latter part of his life his his work that became you know that really precipitated the the protestant reformation yeah so for luther for luther he has a difficult time having a new testament where paul says so strongly you're saved by grace by um you're by grace alone by faith apart from works and then james straight up says you know faith without faith without works is useless dead yes and so and so martin luther really i, I mean let's uh, I don't I don't want to be the guy that that just throws people under the bus because they you know make a statement or they they die on a hill that I think is not worth dying on. But we ought to recognize, you know, Martin Luther for all of the the issues that come out of Lutheranism and his his personal perspective, he had some bigoted views of the world. He he really was trying to reform a church and a system that he thought was broken. Yeah. And as with anybody who is living in a system that is broken and he's not being listened to, he became very fiery, yeah. very punchy. And, you know, what would have happened if the church would have just listened to him more graciously? I don't know that the Reformation would have happened. Yeah. You know, if he would have if they would have been open to his critiques, right, of the of the church. Anyway, but we're not talking about the Protestant Reformation today. We're talking about James. So let's 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 just start by let's start by walking through the book of James. There's a couple of things uh at the very beginning of the book of James that I think is are very powerful in the first chapter. Uh James says whenever you face trials of many kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance character and character hope right um or no 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 it, uh, he says let let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything that's what james says yeah. sorry i was conflating this with another scripture yeah uh as someone who gets easily frustrated by trials gets easily frustrated when i feel like i should be taken seriously or when someone should should think that i'm right and I don't feel justified or vindicated. James speaks to me as a young person and says, "Hey, did you know that this diverts? Did, did you know that this develops perseverance in you, and perseverance leads to maturity?" I think that, unfortunately, we we think 
and I think where it's hard for us to hear, maybe in our current context, it's harder in the American church than it is in other churches because, because we have a feeling that we should be exempt from, from anything that's difficult. Mm. And, and so I think that it's, it's easy for us or it's hard for us to hear these words because we, we, don't go through a lot of suffering and a lot of pain in the minute anything that would creep into what we would say are our our rights or um our entitlements entitlements we lose them and and it's interesting through the years and it's it's even if something small happens we think it's just the biggest deal like i think we've talked about this before several years ago like when Starbucks changed their coffee cup or whatever, Christians were, were claiming persecution on, and, and you're just like, man, if this is the worst thing we have to go through, we've got it pretty good, pretty yeah. good. And so when we hear things like, actually, when you go through hard times, that's what produces the character of God in you. Wow. We don't want to, we... We don't want to hear it. Yeah, we don't want to hear it. We don't have time for it. And, 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 you know, and I think we've mentioned before, too, just the whole of the Bible was written to a people group who were on the underside of society, not mm. on the top of society. Mm. And so I think it's hard for us to to grapple with when Jesus talks about loving enemy and and that the meek are going to inherit the earth. You know, and you just hear all of these phrases. And then James is very clear to say, no, this is actually how we become the people of God more fully is is going through, you know, the Apostle Paul once again, that all of these things are rubbish, are garbage. What I want to do is join Christ in his suffering so that I can attain the resurrection of the dead. We want to jump straight to the resurrection, right? From Palm Sunday to Easter. But Good Friday's in the middle of that. And you can't have resurrection. I say this in my church all the time. It's physically impossible to have resurrection unless you have death. And and we want to skip over the death. And unfortunately... I think especially in our tribe, sometimes we've been guilty in our history to not want to claim some of that liturgy or that, that journey. And so we just have jumped from Palm Sunday to Easter without going through that death and that suffering and that pain. And, um, and we, we miss those parts or those pieces of understanding that through the trials, that it's not just the, the, the suffering, but what does the suffering produce in us as we journey through those times and what that looks like. Yeah, uh, James goes on to to segue into a talk about talking about temptation. Now there there is still a conversation in the church where people I hear people all the time say, you know, God God let this happen to me or God did this to me. And James is James obviously is hearing a similar thing in his church in his in the very beginning of the Christian church, right? And he says he says, "Blessed are you when you face temptation." Uh, because whoever has stood the test will receive a crown of life. But no one should say when they are tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. And James points the finger at all of us. And he says, but one is tempted by one's own desire, being when one is lured away and enticed by it. Right? This is a very powerful verse for me, pastorally. Because I think it is it is easy to attribute tough times in people's lives to a devil who is out there. Yeah. 
you know, or a institution that is out there. James just says straight up, you know, folks, you're sinning. And a big, big reason that you're sinning is because of yourself. Because you are focusing on it. You're allowing yourself to be dragged away and enticed. Uh, I was in a conversation um, with a a young man uh, several weeks back who found himself in a precarious precarious, uh, sexual situation. And uh, when we started talking about the situation, it was like, well, oh, so you made decision A. Oh, and then you made decision B. Oh, and then you made decision C. Oh, and then it was the situation we're talking about. Okay. Right, 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 right. And that's what James is saying. Then just just pop out of <laughs> yeah, nowhere. Right. right, 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 right. I think that that um I've heard a lot of football coaches, I've heard a lot of th- people talk about that that part of achieving the goal that you want to is having the d- discipline to do the things in order to re- to achieve that goal. So he um like a diet, right? Like everybody says, I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, the question is when you're faced with a piece of cake in front of you, you're going to eat the cake or you're not going to eat the cake and to have the discipline to say, no, my goal is to do this. And I think sometimes in our faith, we um, are very shallow as Christians and we don't have spiritual disciplines in our life that allow us to get to the place that we ultimately want to be. We say, I want to be like Jesus. Great. Well, then what are you doing in your personal life to have discipline to get you to be more like Jesus? And if we just hope that one day we're going to wake up and and we're going to magically be like Jesus in, in who we are and what we do, I don't know that that's exactly how it works. But we hear stories of people who have had this radical transformation who and, and I'm not saying that those stories are are not true or that they didn't happen. But we want that to happen in our own hearts and our own lives. But I think the journey of faith is more of this daily in the grind. Uh, when I don't feel like it, am I going like in a diet? Am I waking up and I don't feel like going? To, do I still go to the gym? Am I setting myself up for success in 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 my personal life, but also in my spiritual life? Am I setting myself up? So that when I get in those situations, in those circumstances, like you said, decision A or one, two, three, which led to decision four, am I setting myself up in a way so that when decision one needs to be made, I am seeking to be like Jesus and my life is has disciplines or spiritual practices that are pushing me to be like Jesus so that when I get in that moment, I say, okay, how do I, how do I live this in a Christian way, in a holy way. And if I'm waiting to just get in that situation and just hoping that I'm going to make the right decision, yeah, the the, the inner self is going to <laughs> struggle potentially because your inner hormones, if it's sexual or your inner whatever desires are going to be to do this A, B, and C. And if you have, if you don't have something set up in your life, discipline, whatever, I think it's harder to make those decisions in the moment. If that makes sense. Yeah. The, the, okay. Totally. Well, so I, um, James moves on. Man, there's so much. There's so much in James. We're really. This may have to be a couple parts. Do you think so? I don't know. We'll just, we'll just see. Um. I. This is going to sound incredibly arrogant and blasphemous, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> right. In reading James, I am convinced that this was kind of a a letter that was written in a setting or two because I don't think it's organized very well. Uh. I think that I think that James 
he jumps back and forth. Yeah. You know, he talks about, he's going to talk about, uh, he's talking about suffering, you know, and then he talks about religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the orphan and the widow, you know, and then, and then he talks about partiality. Then he talks about faith without works being dead. There, there are, I, I just, my only critique of James is that he, he, he takes me to different topics. Like, it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm like feeling super convicted about one thing. And then all of a sudden he goes to a completely different place in my life. You yeah. know what I'm saying? He's convinced me there. Is there something that kind of, pervades all of it though? Do you think there's a base note? Well, I think, I think that it is, I think that it is this chapter two, um, starting in, um, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Mm. I, in my opinion, that is the thesis of James. So in James 1, he says, religion is that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the orphan and the widows. Yeah. He talks throughout it multiple times about rich people, like paying attention to the person at their door. He talks about, hey, the evidence of your faith is taming the tongue. I mean, the whole book of James. Th- There's this great think, well, image in the first chapter that about the mirror where he yeah, says oh, very good. that someone who professes faith and then goes and I think in essence what he says lives the way they want to is like somebody who looks in a mirror and forgets what they look forgets, forgets what, what they, they look, look like. like and I think that to me I think you're you're right I would say the thing that that the way I would say it what pervades it is that faith isn't just this transactional thing that I pray this prayer when I'm a child and then I'm good the rest of my life. But faith demands action. And and and, and maybe another way to say it is with the way what Bonhoeffer said, that it, we make grace cheap. It's, it's this cheapening of the grace that God has given us. If I just say, well, I said this prayer, I invited Jesus into my heart. I'm not knocking that language totally, but I think there's some some things that are misleading about what the life of faith actually looks like, that that isn't the end. That's not the goal. It's just the beginning of this life of trying to be who Jesus is calling us to be. And we as holiness people really hold on to this, that it's not just this salvation moment, but there is a life that God calls us to, to look yes. after the poor and the widow. And and I think James is harping on this yeah. of saying, you look in a mirror and you profess that you love Jesus, but this is what it actually means to love Jesus, right? Like it's, there's a life to be lived. There's a, a, a people to minister to. There's a way that the, that God wants the world to be. Um, you know, I, I, I talked about it before, but I, that the song on your first album, the great escape, I feel like people think I just say this prayer and then gosh, darn it. I just got to make it to the end. And when yeah. I get out of here and I think that what I, me and my kids love about that song is it says, no, God wants us to take care of the earth and God wants us to take care of each other. And God wants us that his dream is to redeem the creation that, that he's created. Uh, this is the point not to get out of this place, but to make this place on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Like, and so I think James is like, what are you doing? There's a life to be lived that when you start to follow after Jesus, you don't just go do whatever you want to, but there's there's people and there's a way that we make this place more like I created it to be, I dream for it to be. And James is like, what are you doing? You know, like this is the works, the deeds, some translations say that's not the point in and of itself. The point is what God's done on the inside through faith and grace, but that always demands a response. It demands an action of how we live 
So what's next? What is the next step? What does that look like? I think that for me, the reason that James is so gripping to me right now in my personal life is because I'm finding myself in this place as a pastor where I have been a part of the institutional church my entire life. I love it. It's changed my life. But I feel like God is calling me to a higher level and it's not defined yet. I'm not making some announcement right now. You know, you may run into me on the street, you know, this coming week after you listen to this episode and you may be like, you're the same guy you've always been. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily claiming that I've arrived. Yeah. Or, or, or fundamentally shifted. But the thing about James, what you just said the thing about James right now that is convicting me and compelling me is it's obvious that James is like, all right, you religious people, you, you do the religious thing, but you're following a guy, Jesus, who was crucified by the religious people because he was sort of anti-religious establishment and he was more, you know, active. And here's the ways in which Jesus was active. Jesus was very good with what he said. He tamed his tongue. Mm. Jesus cared and reached out to the poor. He didn't discriminate. Now, that does not mean... So one of the things that I don't like about about ministry is that it usually is one or the other. Either people love reaching out to impoverished people and they're like, forget the rich people. They're all going to hell. Or it's the other way. You know, you got these pastors that are, you know, rolling, rolling with the, you know, the high money donors, you know, and they're not they're not attuned to the needs of the poor in their community. Seriously, like if you go into a church, usually it's one or the other, and you can tell pretty quickly. Wow, this is a low this is a low income church. Wow, this is a right this is a high class church. It's it's difficult, Jeremy, to find one in the middle that has all of them. Yeah. But it's obvious that James that James is saying, hey, the church ought to look like the economic spectrum, and there ought to not be discrimination. Okay. Or favoritism. Favoritism. He uses the Thank word. You. He uses it. Favoritism the is is his word. Yeah. Partiality. Partiality. Yep. Right. And I I am finding myself in a place in my own life where I long to be the Christian that James is calling the church to be. Yeah. And I don't. What I don't mean by that, you know, in this season of COVID. I'm having many friends that are like leaving the church. They're not finding the need the need for it. You know, they think it's a defunct institution. They think it's something that is adding more trouble to the world than help. I fundamentally disagree with that. I think that the church as in every season, as in James's own life for crying out loud, is in need of reformation. Yeah. I mean, James, this is the first generation of the church and he's already reforming it. You know, yeah. we are in, we are in need of reformation constantly. That's what discipleship is. Yeah. The guys who have been walking with Jesus for three years, you know, he says to Peter, he says, all right, man, you've seen it all. You've seen the resurrection now. Do you love me? Yeah. All right, feed my sheep. Yeah. Like, let's go to the next level, you yeah. know? And I, I just do, I feel like, I feel like this, this text right now is challenging me to a next level that I have not yet achieved. Do you think that, do you, do you think the rub is with, um, because we're a part of once again, the United States of America, 
the the Christian church in America or the evangelical church in America. And the reason I say that, we, we just had a missionary speaker at our church, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, and he brought up an interesting point that that we talked about in our small group after church, and he said that in Afghanistan right now, the church is booming, like growing. And the interesting point that was brought up in our small group is it's interesting because when you turn on the news, all you hear about Afghanistan are negative things that are going on over there. And it was this interesting deal that if, if the point of who we are to be is to see his kingdom growing, then what's happening in Afghanistan right now is actually positive. It's not negative. And yet all the talking heads are just arguing and complaining about who did this and who didn't do this and who was it the right move? Was it not the right move? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about our troops and all the things that are going on around the world, but it was just this interesting juxtaposition between what we hear in our news media coverage and what's actually happening on the ground as far as the kingdom of God and how literally he said that there's just churches popping up all over the place over there and that the spirit is on the move and that, that Christians are, so the Christians are reaching out and some of them are being killed, but he says, usually what happens is, you know, and when somebody's martyred for their faith, 10 more churches start up. Um, around there. And, and so I think that what is interesting, and so have we become so sophisticated in our own understanding of what church is that, that we lack the ability to be in that middle ground? We either want the, you know, for lack of a better term, the liturgy, we like the, the show, or we like the and there's great things that I think liturgy is very centering. It can be very good. And you almost have this bent towards uh, this, is what I want. I just want to be spiritual. I just want to do this. And then you have some churches, like you said, they're like, we're canceling church on Sunday and we're going to go serve the poor in the inner city or whatever. And I think they're, which that is not canceling church, by the way. Okay. Well, they're canceling their gathering. No, but I'm, I'm even, no, no, no. Just, I, but yeah, like point well, yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's, uh, that's a pot. But I'm saying they they would never get together. They would just go to the streets. Sure. And I think that there's some, but there's something about the liturgy. But I think what the way that they serve each other is the liturgy. The liturgy should push us to then go serve those around us. But in, but unfortunately, it becomes about the Sunday morning gathering or about serving others rather than understanding they actually work better when they're together and serve each other rather than one or the other one of the maybe it's just the voices the head the talking heads that i'm listening to and particularly it is studying theology right now at a um catholic institution so i'm studying with people who are not a part of my tradition and and you know there was a there was an author named um kristen demez who wrote a book jesus uh and john wayne how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation it's a very popular book right now uh, everybody's a lot of people are reading it and it's very fun right now to kick white evangelicals and talk about how these are the people that are the problem which i am one of those people yeah. <laughs> i mean that's me so i'm i'm hearing you know a lot of people saying you know we got to give up give up on this group of people they're you know they're going to hell in a handbasket but to your point about afghanistan even in our own context there is a there is a me there is a 
there are voices that are saying this group of people that you're a part of is completely defunct, is completely void of meaning. And I feel like, I feel like God is calling us not to defend an institution, but I do feel like God is, is giving us an opportunity. Those of us that would say, you know, I'm a part of a denomination that, so the church of the Nazarene is a part of a group of people like we, There's a group of evangelical churches in America, and for good or for ill, our general superintendents a while back kind of committed to this, like to saying, yeah, we're a part, we'll be a part of that group of people that say they're evangelical churches. So technically, there is no such thing as evangelicalism, but there are a group of churches that are in fellowship with one another and say, like, yeah, that's who we are. So uh, there are a lot of people that argue about what it means to be an evangelical. I'm aware of that, okay? But I would just say... I would say, you know, I think there is an opportunity right now in our lifetime to to um, to redefine what it what it means to be a carrier of the good news. I mean, this is the theme of our podcast. We say this all the time, but in a in a way, even where we are kicking against our own publicity, if that makes sense. Just because, I mean, a lot of the people that are kicking the evangelical church are those from the inside but there are a lot of there are a lot of voices that are quiet that are not saying things in the in the media and that are just doing the work of the church i have a friend uh in michigan who he has really felt strongly over the course of the quarantine uh that that god's calling him to transition from being a traditional pastor to being the leader of a network of house churches and their their local congregation it's not just him necessarily just starting kind of a cult following, but like his his church, they are all feeling compelled to do this together. And so they're, you know, they're going to gather once a month together as the church, but then other three times, three times a month, they're going to be gathering together, which is, is beautiful in some senses, you know, God is, God is working and um, is calling us to something higher. I, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared I'm not afraid, but I do, I do sense that God is calling us to something that might look a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it'd be interesting, like 10 years from now, what, where are we? And I think what's been interesting is, um, how many pastors have, have chosen to do other careers even and how it's with COVID, with the political polarity that is out there, it is hard to to speak truth. Yeah. And and I think a lot of pastors are saying, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I felt like God was calling me to do. Yeah, and even it's not worth it. Someone and I can go have more of an impact working at Chick-fil-A or UPS or, or what Amazon seems to be the big person that's hiring everybody these days that then I can even here amongst the, the people who call themselves. It is interesting to me, the Christians. correlation the correlation between leaving the ministry to go take a higher paying job. It's just a little fascinating to me personally, <laughs> but yeah, you go have your impact. Leave the, leave the, you know, the it used to work. be everybody went and worked at Starbucks, but that doesn't seem to be. It's the, Chick-fil-A the, now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, and who doesn't love Chick-fil-A? Yeah. It's a good, it's a good chicken sandwich. 
Man, discipling those chickens. <laughs> or or no, discipling those cream of the crop high school students that are going to go get an Ivy League education. Yeah, those that's yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, you know, whatever. All the homeschooling kids. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so so if James says faith without deed is, deeds is dead. One of the things that he says in in chapter 3 chapter three of James is this famous passage where he talks about taming the tongue. And, and this is, this is difficult. We're living in a society that encourages the Twitter feed, Mm. right? Yeah. We're, we're living in a society where news is entertainment. People give commentary in real time. I'm always compelled by the people who I watch on news news shows who when they're being interviewed you know somebody somebody will ask them a question a news anchor will ask the person being interviewed a question and the person will will pause and will say i don't know that i can answer that question and as me as the consumer i'm thinking to myself oh answer the question that's cheating yeah. but me as the christian is like wow that was probably the most wise thing that you've said yeah not to just honestly to say I can't answer that right now. If I answer that right now, I'm just going to be saying, you know, whatever comes out of my mouth, but I don't have a really good, mature, collected response to what you're asking me right now. Everybody wants the clickbait. Yes. Everybody wants the, 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 I, I said that, you know, I got everybody to click on my video. Well, and news anchors are, news anchors are programmed to ask the question or interviewers they're programmed to ask the questions that are going to get the clickbait. And in a way that they're going to get the clickbait. Right. It's the phrasing of the question sometimes that you're just like, what? Yeah. That's the question. But that's the culture that we live in. We don't live in a culture that cultivates wisdom, propriety, um, the taming of the tongue. Which is interesting because the very next section is about wisdom. Um, right after he talks about taming of the tongue, he talks about two kinds of wisdom and how one is is not from heaven and the other one is and um it seems to be centered around humility um so at the end he talks about this is the wisdom that's from heaven it's pure peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good yeah. fruit yeah. impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness and i think that so if you read up it talks about um, you know, selfish, uh, deceitful, that that's one wisdom, but the wisdom from heaven is a wisdom of humility, which is what you just said, literally, that we lack the, the humility. And, and, and once again, just an interesting point that we claim that we want to be like Jesus. And, and if anybody had any right to go off on people, if anybody had any right to, to claim rights and say, this is my right as the creator of the universe, I should do this and this. And yet, um, didn't consider his equality as something that he was going to hold on to, but he right. emptied himself and, and became obedient, you know? And so I just think that if that's the goal, we, we should be, um, slow to speak and quick to listen and have a little bit of humility of saying, when you're asked a question or asked to respond, you know, I'm not sure (laughs) how far would that go to say, I don't know. Um, but I just believe maybe that this is who Jesus might be calling us to be. That humility is, is lacking on Twitter and Facebook and news feeds and totally, and, and all of it. And, and unfortunately 
Christians are just as much a part of that game as as anybody else. So James talks about loyalty to God over against the world. And he calls the people that he's writing his letter to in chapter 4 adulterers. Yeah. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There is this part of me that wants to be known in the secular community that I'm a part of. I don't know if it's hubris, if it's pride. I don't know if it's um, just a natural human knack or desire. But I don't know completely what to do with that statement of James. Because on the one hand, I see the value as a pastor in having a seat at the table at City Hall. I see a value in you know, connecting with influential politicians, particularly locally, I see the value in cultivating relationships in secular society. I just see the value in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But James says, be careful. Yeah. Be careful. What friendships are you concerned with cultivating? And I think that that's, that is a question that he doesn't ask, but it's a question that I ask as I'm reading James that really could answer a lot of the other questions that are brought up in James. Like, am I concerned with pursuing relationships with people that are financially well off? Yeah. Do I even have friendships with people that are poor and marginalized? And in, in this particular passage, this idea of friendship with the world being a dad of children you know part there's a part of me that wants them to have a sense of culture of you know i i don't want them to be the only children that have you know on the one hand never seen some sort of popular uh cultural media but on the other hand i also realize that god is calling me not to just give my children not to give that secular media the influence over my children. And this is part of being a dad and part of being a pastor that is very difficult for me to discern at times. To what level am I a friend of the world? Yeah. And to what level am I choosing enmity (laughs) against God in the way that I'm living kind of a worldly life? Do you think it's about identity? I think... And the what, reason do you, I, what do you mean? Yeah, the reason I ask that question is I think that it, am I being friends with politician, commissioner, local politician so that people will say, well, that Jonathan Berkey, he's he is he is an important dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a status. Is it so is it a status thing? And I think Jesus even talks about that in one of his one of the gospels. You love to be seen on the streets with these people, yeah. That you because you it gives you the seats at banquets. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's all part of that. And is it about that, or is it? Am I friends with people just because they're people? Is it about the kickback, or is it about the just the relationship? And I think that that as 
as we journey through, I think it's important to to be potentially at city hall meeting. Yeah. But if I'm uninvited or were to speak again, am I still able to speak truth to those people? Yep. And and be able to do it in such a way that is faithful to the gospel and the kingdom. Because a lot of times what happens is you start to people get friends, become friends with those people, and then they're no longer able to speak the truth about what's going on in their local context and what's happening because they're afraid they'll lose their position sure. and they'll lose their uh, power or whatever identity. And, and so I think that rubbing shoulders with interacting with is in, but not of, right? Like that's that whole line of Jesus. But if I do it to such a point that I'm then not able to then speak truth and preach the, the gospel and what that means, then it becomes, I think that's, that's the thing that identifies, identifies me now and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, and you look at the life of Jesus and to your point, Jesus is a very relational person. Absolutely. So a centurion comes to Jesus to be healed. That, that demonstrates that Jesus is known even amongst the Roman officials as someone who's conversant, you know, and he doesn't just shut down the conversation. I think it, to the individual, he actually says, you know, you have more faith yeah. than my own religious, you know, claim, than all of Israel. I'm a part of, exactly right? right. So it is, it is apparent in the ministry of Jesus that he does, you know, successfully maintain relationships with people in multiple stratus fears. Is that a crude use of the, in society? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A stratum? I don't know. Different, uh, Different levels of society. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so obviously he's he's doing this uh, to a, with a level of success. But, you know, he goes and stands in front of Pilate and he's able to speak confidently to Pilate, you know? I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't cower, you know? He doesn't waver yeah, before, in who he is. Before Pilate, neither, neither in front of the Jewish leaders. I mean, there is, there's an element of the passion narrative that actually tells us a lot about the character of Jesus. Yes, I mean, the Isaiah scripture is true. You know, he's led like a, like a lamb before the shearer is silent. He didn't open his mouth. Yeah, there's evidence of that in the New Testament, but there's also kind of this, this level of Jesus saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to compromise who I am for the sake of bowing down to you, even though my life is in your hands. And particularly in COVID culture, you know, I feel like it's so much easier to answer questions or preach sermons with a particular political party in mind because you know if you go left or you go right, you're still going to have a group following you. Yeah. My friends, that in our context is enmity toward God. That is friendship with the world. Lining up, selling out to a political party is friendship with the world. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a personal conviction of mine. Yeah. Um, I, I think... I think that we've got to figure out in the church how to successfully maintain relationships, but also be bearers of truth in our communities. And and this is this is just a tough one. It's it's something that gets me every time I read James. Well, I think it goes back to though: how could Jesus stand before a Pilate and a Herod and and be true to who he was? And I think if you read the scripture every day, the week before that, 
He was teaching in the temple and then he was going to the Mount of Olives to pray. And I think the decision was made in ultimately in the garden, right? When Jesus prayed, not what I want, but what you want. And so that discipline, once again, of Jesus to get alone by himself, to get with God, to be reminded of who he was and who God was and why he was here and, and what that would look like allowed him, I think, in that moment to, to say, I'm not going to be compromised because I understand and I've been connected with the Father and I, I am, am going. And so the discipline allowed him in the moment to be who God yeah. had called him to be. It's interesting. Are we? Yeah. What do you got? Well, I mean, there's, we're not, I mean, coming into James four, I mean, there's just James five left. And I mean, we're not, this, this podcast isn't necessarily a, a deep dive. It's just Jeremy and I were talking and the thing about James is James is a, is an epistle that addresses so many real world issues. I mean, the whole thing is just such a real world conversation. This is how to be Christian in the world. Uh, I, I'm convicted and compelled every time I read the verse in chapter 5, uh, 5 verse 5. You've lived on earth in luxury and pleasure. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. I wonder if that's somewhat of a of a call out even of folks that were still alive who are part of kind of crucifying Jesus, the one who reached out to the poor. But I hear in this James 5, 5, I hear that story where Je- I hear this in the background, the story of Jesus, the Lazarus and the rich man that yeah. parable that Jesus tells right and he says I think it's Abraham mm-hmm. who says to the rich man you in, in your life you enjoyed your good things yeah and just as a as a pastor I mean I'm not I'm not filthy rich by any stretch of the imagination you know we live on you know one income that's not massive but the thing is, I, I don't have need of anything. And furthermore, I have a church that loves me and surrounded me. And if I, if I did need anything, I'd have people that would, would care for me. Yeah. I read this passage, you know, and you have lived on earth in luxury and pleasure. I do. I do. Is it wrong? I don't know. There are some people who say, yes, absolutely. And there's some people that would say, no, absolutely not. Like, you know, God gives generously to us and we have to receive it and live grateful lives. But I, I do ask myself the question when I read James chapter 5, how am I leveraging mm. that 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 luxury and that blessing for others? Yeah. Because if Matthew twenty five is authoritative at all, that's it's going to be a part of the judgment. Is asking that question, you know, what what did you do for the least of these? And and this is again just a moment where James, you know, he says, you know, uh, your faith, you know, show me your faith by what you do, bro. <laughs> you know, I think what I love about the book of James, I mean, it's it's hard. If, 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 you know, if you're honest, yeah, if you're self-critical, it's, it's so hard. I don't think anybody could read James and like, yeah, I'm killing it right now. This is like, I'd love to meet that person. Yeah, I would too. Oh, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe mother Teresa or something. Um, well, she would, th- th- but she wouldn't claim no, that. No, no, she would absolutely. say I'm the worst of all. I mean, what a holy person. So what's interesting though, and what I love is the book begins about patience and suffering. Yeah. And it ends with patience and suffering. Mm. It's a bookend. And I think why that's important once again is it's easy. That's so good, Jeremy. It's easy to to do the right thing when life's going great. But when you get a little push, and that's why I think James is just saying, hey, remember how we started this conversation? <laughs> let's 
let's let's make sure we remember and not forget that the true essence and the true your true character and who you really are will come forth when when you get pushed a little bit and when you're going through the suffering and it's interesting that that's the thing he talks about at the very beginning and then he bookends it and says but let's not forget yeah let's not forget this is this is where we are this is where we may find ourselves eventually and uh let's be strong and understand that this is this is what it is really all about and part of the reason that some people think that James is you know incomplete out of order has kind of literary issues is because of the way that James ends so it begins as a letter would normally begin James the servant of Christ you know to the 12 tribes tribes in the dispersion but it just ends yeah with this kind of bomb of a command this thing that could be its own chapter if anyone among you wanders from the truth and it's brought back by another you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In drop the mic. That's y- it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in the the separation that has occurred in COVID culture, yeah. we've become more distant from our church communities. I do believe that James calls us to this place of accountability within the church. Even listening to this podcast, there may be someone that is that you've grown distant from over the last year or two. Maybe they're struggling in their marriage. Maybe uh, you know about you know personal addiction or problems that you're curious how accountable that person's been held. Maybe you've distanced yourself from the church because you don't want anybody up in your business. Well, James says the way that a multitude of sins is covered over is through this somehow community calling out it's it's the epistle of john that says uh confess your sins to one another and be saved we're saved through this this communal accountability we desperately need each other we need people in the church that are still courageous enough to call out others in the church and we need to be humble enough to receive it you know and maybe even over the last four or five years when our country has been so divided and it seems like the church is so divided, what would it look like for us to, to have that humility and to, to be unifying around who Jesus is and, yeah. and what he's calling us to. And maybe that's a bringing back. But I think in the end, what we might realize is we're the ones that also need to be brought back into that, that fold, that community. So this was our first dive through a book of the Bible in yeah. one episode. You can make up your minds whether or not we did it successfully. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, you should probably uh, still read some commentaries and such. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to teach or preach this, but uh, yeah, there you go. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.